Lord, we just thank you for the fact that you sent your son, Father, our Savior, Jesus. Jesus, who came full of grace and truth. Willing to pay the price for our sins. To gain the victory over the darkness, sin and death. And Jesus, we're thankful. Pray as we look into your word, God, you'd give us understanding, wisdom and insight, discernment. And God, give us a hunger for your truth, a hunger for your word, which is truth. Guide our steps away from darkness toward the light, which is you, Jesus. You are the way, the truth, and the life. And we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So last week we ended chapter 1 of Second Peter. And if you have your Bibles, please turn to that. Second Peter, so find Revelation, which is the end of the Bible, and go back a couple books. You'll have Jude and Third John, Second John, First John. And then you come to Peter's second letter. This is sections of Scripture's chapter, actually, in the New Testament, because it's so discouraging and heart-wrenching with the fact that there's false teachers, false prophets, and what Peter was cementing to his readers and the people he was writing to and to those who would read uh, one. Remember, he said, we didn't follow cleverly invented stories, Okay. Because he's where he's going to say, listen, there's false teachers. We didn't follow cleverly invented stories. And then he closed that section saying, no scripture, no prophecy of scripture originated in man, the will of man. And so the more certain word is more certain than they'd heard, more certain than they'd seen. It was the more certain their, than their experience. It's the word of God that's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And when the author of Hebrews wrote in chapter 1, he said, In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and many times and in various ways. But in these days, he has spoken to us by his son. And the Son is and was the Word. And so the Word became flesh. And so God spoke His final Word, and that Word is Jesus. And so whenever false teachers, one of the main things they want to do is they're going to detract from the person and the work of Jesus Christ. You're going to hear it a lot. You're going to bump into it on the street. Jesus was just a man. Jesus was just a guru, and that's false teaching, and you're going to want to be aware of it. 
So when Peter transitions in his letter, now we put the chapters and the verses in there. They weren't in there when he wrote it originally. It was just a letter to his friends and the people he loved dearly to try to protect them and warn them and build them up and encourage them and strengthen them. And so the truth needs to be spoken in love. And if, there, if there's no truth in love, then it isn't love. And if there's no love with the truth, it's just brutal. So he came, Jesus, full of grace and truth. And so when it comes to chapter 2, follow with me, and I'll just read a couple of these verses in the beginning of uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But there were false, also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and bring the way of truth into disrepute. So as I was studying this week and thinking about this, and I knew these verses were coming, the hair on the back of my neck stands up. And it should stand up on the back of your neck when it says, beware of false teachers. Because if you're not aware, just what he says, they secretly introduce false teaching. And so I'm going to read you a couple of other scriptures. This, this morning, I just wanted to just introduce this topic. And I want to go back, and there's, uh, there's 27 books in the New Testament 22 out of the 27 refer to false teaching and try to expose it, discredit it, point it out, and warn believers, Christians, that there's false teachers. And we're going to go back, and you can just write down some of these references. I'm going to try to go rather rapidly through this, but it just gives us a sense of the, the seriousness of the subject. The seriousness of um, these teachings. So Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 7 said this. Matthew chapter 7 verse 15 says this. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So wolves in sheep's clothing meant to deceive, meant to trick, meant to sneak up next to the sheep so they can attack them and tear them apart. That's what a wolf wants to do, hide in the grass. And so Jesus warned them strongly, watch out for those false teachers. He goes on in the same chapter, verse 21, he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles. And Jesus said, then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me. First John chapter 4, verse 1 says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets for two. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. 
This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming and even now is already in the world. When Paul called the elders of the church together in Acts chapter 20, he left them with this incredibly strong warning as he was saying goodbye to them. Listen to what he said. Acts chapter 20, verse 27. He said this. For I have not hesitated to proclaim yourselves and all the flock. That means the people. Keep watch over yourselves. Of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers because be shepherds of the church, which he bought with his own blood. For I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will rise to distort the truth and draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. In Romans 16, he said this as he closes his letter to the Romans. In Romans 16, verse 17, it says, I urge you, brothers, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you have learned. Keep away from them, for such people are not, not serving our Lord Christ. For such people are not, not serving our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it says this. Give you a chance to find that one. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. says this in verse 13. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, it says this. Verse 2, preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will in turn, they will turn their ears away from the truth Tied to myths. In Second John, it's John wrote this. Second John chapter. Well, there's only one chapter. Second John verse seven says this: Many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch out that you do not lose what you have worked hard for, but that you be, may be rewarded fully. And so there's a warning over and over in Scripture about these false teachers and about heresy, unsound doctrine. And we don't have time to look at every one of those, but I just, I'm this morning, like I said, I'm introducing this subject, giving you 
um, things to ponder as we look at uh, this whole chapter of Second Peter. But just the serious warning. Go back to Second Peter now and just listen to what Peter is telling them. Brothers, there were also false prophets among the people. And he could be referring all the way back to the beginning because the Old Testament has some scathing words to the false prophets and to the people who were making up stories in their own imagination. And God said, you did not seek the counsel of God, but you made up stories with your own vain imaginations. And uh, he rebuked them for that through the prophets. So he's saying there's false prophets and also among you, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. I wanted to share a story of a individual that I've met in my lifetime, and he represents many people. This particular person is so concerned about false doctrine and truth that they go to the exact opposite extreme of what Scripture would teach us, and they try to find people who only agree exactly with them. And their circle of who they can have fellowship gets smaller and smaller and smaller until they find out that they can only have fellowship with only two or three people. And pretty soon, those two or three people, maybe as they're struggling to understand truth, they're not as accurate as this individual wants them to be. And they say, you know what? I can't have fellowship with you either. And finally, they can't even fellowship with their spouse. That's one extreme. The other extreme is the person who's going down the street and he's so gullible, he or she is so gullible, that anything, any wind of doctrine, anything that even smells a little bit like um, something that, that might tickle their fancy, they glob onto it. And the scripture says they're blown here and there by every wind of doctrine and the teaching and the cunningness of men in their deceitful scheming. So how do we go forward? One of the things I had the privilege of doing this week is just remind myself that in across America anyway, we'll just use a, instead of the world, we'll just think about America. You know and I know there's many different denominations. There's many different church groups. There's many different labels that people come under. And what they have is each little group some are large, some are small. They'll have what they call a doctrinal statement. And what they're trying to say is, this is what we believe. And they write it out. And so I collected some of those. One of them in this book is called This We Believe. Another one's called Concise Bible Doctrines. And I didn't have enough room to carry all the books up here. So those are just two, two simple examples. And then there's another one called the Declaration of Faith. And then there's the Evangelical Free Church of America has a statement of belief. Oak Hills Fellowship has a statement of belief. The uh, General Baptist Convention has a statement of belief. And so 
each of these uh, groups that gather together, they come up with, with, through history as they study scripture, and they're coming up with a doctrinal statement. And you might have visited some of those, I, wanna, I was going to say churches, but what I meant is that you might have run into some of those people in your journey. That they say, well, I'm of this persuasion. I grew up in this church. I grew up in that church. But the core thing is not where the building is uh, geographically. It's where their doctrinal is scripturally. And so it's interesting as I'm going to hold up this little board over here that I made for us to use. To give us a, a simple outline of what I want to communicate this morning. Is as you, as you, if you looked up today, and you were going to say, what are the core essentials of the Christian faith? And in in each of these different denominations that are within the brackets of what would be called Christianity. So we're not talking about what's outside of Christianity. We're talking about what's inside biblical Christianity. And I remember. I was having this conversation, as I'm sure you young people, you go, well, there's so many versions of the Bible. There's so many different uh, church groups that meet all over. How do I know what's true? Where do I go? And so Peter's writing this, and he has been writing all the way since he picked up his pen in verse 1 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter to help them understand what is sound doctrine, what is truth, what does the Bible teach? And we're going to spend some time, so this is the introduction. But so in the center, as I looked at each of these different statements, in the center, there's some things that the church throughout history is called non-negotiables, okay? And a non-negotiable means is this is something we don't differ on. This is something when it's in the Christian, under the Christian umbrella, we can't differ on these particular things. That'd be in the very center, non-negotiable, essential core beliefs of Christianity. And so you, I hope you're sitting there and hope you're thinking, I wonder what they are. And other of you are going, well, I know them, and I'm thoroughly grounded and I'm rooted in them, and everybody else better believe them too. Okay? So we're all in that place. We're in a journey. And so I'm telling you and I'm telling myself, we need to understand what are the core beliefs because there's false teachers. And so you look and you say, where do you get the information? Well, we need to get it first and foremost from the scriptures. When we're talking about Christianity, and I'm using, I'm going to start broad, general, and then close down. But okay, when we're talking about the Christian Bible, we're talking about 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament, 20, 27 in the New, 66 total books, written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors, okay? So we're talking about that. We're ta that's the essential. So the non-essentials, I'll get to them in a minute, are those things that make you Christian versus non-Christian, Okay, then the outside, the next line is the historical Christian teachings that would be negotiable. And we'll talk about those things in a minute. And then you go to the further outside, personal biblical convictions. Convictions that you have maybe as you read scripture. And, you, and those are Roman 14 issues. 
Maybe you believe that you could um, enjoy something and another person believes they can enjoy it. So you need to work that out in your life. And we'll talk about these things as we go forward. But personal convictions, they're your convictions. And you need to live by them. And you need to trust the Holy Spirit and continue to read Scripture. Because your convictions should grow and develop as you bump into other believers who are having personal convictions. And they bring their personal convictions back to Scripture. And Scripture needs to root out any pet peeves any personal high horses that we might have and it could be and we'll list some of those things but i want us to just start thinking about this am i aware that there's false teachers and jesus warned us the apostles warned us and they said there's false teachers and they're even come up from among our own number could i defend myself doctrinally and where would i be if i was to defend myself on some of the positions of Christian historical doctrines, where would I be? Would I be find myself that I've drifted in my walk and some of these false teachings and some of these things have drifted into my ears and I'm kind of gone wayward in some areas? So this morning, I just want to um, kind of just lay out a little bit of a framework of some of these non-negotiables in the beginning. Now, I'm going to give you like six or seven, but uh, I'm, I've compacted the statements as each of these statements are made here. I'm going to set this right here for now. So this is a doctrinal statement that I just picked up. It's from a, a Lutheran church. This is the doctrinal statement of the Grace Chapel. It's only a couple pages. This is the doctrinal statement of the Evangelical Free Church. Doctrinal statement from Oak Hills Bible College. Doctrinal statement from the General Baptist Convention. You can see that they're not very big, right? But there's much, much more information, theology, and thorough study that have gone into these things, into reading the Bible and looking at what's been historically taught from Christian pulpits since the early days. And so they can't include everything in there, in their doctrinal statement, of course. And you go back and you think, okay, this is one thing that came down from 1627. So that was, was anybody here back then? I mean, I know some of you are kind of, all right. Thank you, brother. So 1627, in, and during that time, there was this thing called the 30 Years War where they were fighting, even to the point of bloodshed, over some of these doctrines and some of these issues and who's in charge and who can say this, who essentials unity in non-essentials liberty in all things love. So in essentials, unity. Now, even that's a discussion. What does it mean to have unity? Any married couples here? Have you been discovering unity even causes some friction sometimes as you try to move forward in some of your discussions? How are you going to do this? How are you going to do that? Yeah. But in unity, but in, essential, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. That means freedom. That means we can have a discussion. And I can learn from you. You can learn from me as we learn from Scripture. And we might camp on a certain point of doctrine for a while as we study it 
as we mull it over, as we pray about it, and there are other people and say, hey, can you help me understand this better? Can you help me understand what this meant better? And then we come closer and closer to unity. And then our personal biblical convictions, as you study scripture, and as I study scripture, but in all things, we're trying to offer each other truth in love, speak the truth in love. And so a couple of things, and again, I'm going broad brush strokes. We could ask, and it would be kind of interesting, wouldn't it, to just go around the room this morning and say, hey, listen, can you tell me your non-essentials, your things in here that are, that are not non-negotiables, I mean, sorry. They're absolutely non-negotiable. And this is where you would camp on. This is where you would stake your life on because this is what you understand the Bible to preach and teach. I'm not talking about your personal convictions. We can go around the room and say, hey, what are yours? What are yours? That would be interesting, wouldn't it? So let me give you a couple of them that, that in my studies, that even in these statements, you start reading these statements, they agree and they agree and they agree and they agree. And all of a sudden they start to vary off where there's some, they start to have some negotiable things. So I go back and you kind of, um, I don't know, what is that called? Kneading bread or something? Do you take bread and you roll it? And I like eating it. I just, but in the beginning, when you're putting together, you're compacting it down to get it in the oven, in the pan. So th there's an idea throughout history as people have studied scripture, as they understand and they study as best they can to come up with what are these non-essentials, non-negotiables. This will help you remember it. The, the non-negotiables that we, we cannot, if we're going to be, have unity of Christian fellowship, we cannot disagree on some of these issues. Now, I'm going to say some things, and um, I hope somewhere I bump into your negotiables. Okay, and so this is the thing. You have fellowship with somebody, and you first meet, and you and I, we hardly know each other, right? And some of other of you, we hardly know each other. Some of you and I, we know each other a little more intimately. But it takes a while sometimes to bump up against somebody's negotiables and somebody's non-negotiables and you know what that's a good thing that's a good thing and it's even a better thing when your personal convictions you live them but you live them in such a way that when somebody bumps up against you what oozes out of you is love not rule not trying to ownership not trying to manipulate them but what oozes out of you when you bump up against somebody is love and then you begin to assess, hey, what do you believe about this? What do I believe about this? So depending on which doctrinal statements you would read, pretty much every one of them that's within the Christian denomination, biblical Christianity, has one or two things as the central core. It's either the doctrine of Scripture or they call it revelation. Revelation. And revelation means we got God's word from him. We didn't make this book up, right? Remember what Peter said? No prophecy of scripture came about by man's original. And I found out this week, and it kind of wigged me out a little bit, 
There's 25 books right now on the face of the earth that claim to be divine. Did you know that? There's 25, at least 25 other books that claim in themselves to be divine or their followers claim that they're divine. So it's no small thing we're talking about when the, the doctrine of Scripture, of what we believe about the Bible, that the Bible is the Word of God, that the Bible teaches the truth of God untainted by man, that it came from God, it originated from God, and it is called the inspiration of Scripture. So we have a statement at this particular church and we've done our best to continue to uh, glean what people who have gone before us have taught us about Scripture, what the Scripture says about itself. And it just says something, this is a simple statement. You could add a lot more to it. But it says, we believe the Scriptures were given by God. And we understand both the Old and the New Testament equally valid in all their parts and verbally trustworthy being written by men of God who were moved by the Holy Spirit. So each of these doctrinal statements in one, other, one or another start with the same thing, the Scriptures, the Scriptures, the Scriptures. And so the Scriptures are central because all the other doctrines that you would consider absolute, they got to be based in Scripture. If it's not based in Scripture, we need to change our views. If it's not grounded and rooted in the truth of God, we might build a mountain out of a molehill and we might stack our, our convictions on something that's going to divide and harm rather than build and rather than um, worship the true, the one true God. So the scriptures. The next thing would be the doctrine. So that's number one, the scriptures. The next thing would be the doctrine of God. Who is God? There's multitudes of definitions in the universe right now about gods. This God, that God. Is Zeus God? Is Hermes God? Is football God? If you're in the South, is Ice-T God? There's lots of strange ideas. So the doctrine of God is something that explains in the Christian teaching, and we believe that our God is one God in three persons, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And so that's essential. That's why we're Christian and not Mormon. That's why we're Christian and not Jehovah Witness. That's why we're Christian and not Muslim. We believe in one God known in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And yes, that's uh, spelled out in Scripture but it's an essential. And then the next one would be the person and work of Jesus. The person and work of Jesus. And there's some very critical absolute issues there because God spoke his final word, his communication in his son. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. John 1.1, 1, 1, John 1, 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Hebrews chapter 1, God spoke his final word through his son, Jesus. So to, to not understand the person and the work of Jesus Christ correctly would be false teaching. And I'm telling you, there's been secretly and intentionally 
false teaching about Jesus since the day he walked to the earth. Fully God, fully man, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. His death was vicarious. That means it paid the penalty for sin. And he rose bodily from the grave on the third day. Those are absolute essentials, non-negotiable for the Christian faith. You can believe something different if you so choose, but that would put you outside the camp of Christianity. And we need to understand that. It's been interesting if you've, uh, in the last couple of years, if you watch TV at all, you see these commercials come up and they're just so well done. And then they, and they get to the get to the end of the commercial, and it says something about the family, and something about God. And I'm thinking, wow, that was just done so marvelously well. You know who's doing them? The Mormon Church, the Mormon Church, and they they would it's a, it's they don't come right out and tell you what they believe about Jesus, because they don't believe the same thing the Bible teaches about Jesus. That he's fully God, fully man. And so that's just a little hint. The next thing would be some doctrine, teaching. The word doctrine just means teaching, but teaching about a human being. Okay? This is non-negotiable. Human beings are created in the image of God. Non-negotiable. Think about what that means for every area of our life in our culture. If a human being is created in the image of God, you can't treat them as an animal. You can't use them for your own benefit. You can't manipulate people. They're made in the image of God. It's a non-essential. It's a non-essential. Sorry. What is it? Non-negotiable. So you think about that. Every person you meet, whether they're rude or angry, whether mature or immature, they're created in the image of God, and it's non-negotiable that you have the opportunity and the privilege to respect them, love them, help them grow, help them mature, and treat them with dignity. But it's also, at the same time, non-negotiable that man is a fallen creature, right? We're sinful to the core, and we need saving. We're dead in sin, and we need the author of life to give us life. Non-negotiable for Christian doctrine. There's more to that, but we just, as each of these statements made, they just make that small initial statement, then as you want to learn more, you do, okay? The next statement would have something to do with salvation. Okay, and this is pretty critical. How does a person meet with God, a holy God, and a sinful human being? How do those two meet together? Not happening without Jesus. Not happening without the Savior. Not happening without the go-between, the advocate, the anointed one, the one who went face-to-face with the Father, the one who entered in behind the curtain into the most holy place and sacrificed not blood of bulls and goats, 
but sacrificed his own blood. So salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You can believe something different, but then you're outside again. You're outside the framework of what Scripture teaches and what historical Christianity has believed since the beginning of time that Jesus Christ is the sacrifice for our sin. And through faith in his blood, his finished work on the cross, you and I are saved. And so the next statement, there's only two more. A statement about the church. And that would be a statement, not some label like Methodist, Episcopalian, Lutheran, um, not Lutheran, um, not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about a statement about the body of Christ in Scripture. The, the body of which Jesus is the head. The family of God because of those who through faith in Jesus Christ are born again. The church is made up. The church of Jesus Christ of which he is the head is made up of those who are born again through faith in his person and his work. And so that's a statement about the church. Each of those statements. And then... The, one of the last statements is a statement that refers to the second coming. Okay? Jesus said, I'm coming back, right? So now, you go from these non-negotiables, essential core negotiables, essential core beliefs. Immediately, you go to what the, his, the historical Christian church has taught throughout years. Those are negotiable, Okay? Does anybody know when Jesus is returning? I mean, like, so throughout history, I don't know, when I was a young kid, there was this pamphlet. Can you guys believe this? There was a pamphlet that said 88 reasons why Christ would return in 88. It was crazy. They sold hundreds of thousands of copies of that little tiny pamphlet, and somebody got rich because people didn't know doctrine. People didn't know their Bibles. People didn't know. Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour of my return. We just know he's coming back. So there's a statement there. So when, as we look forward to sifting our way through some of the mess of false teachings, false doctrines, heresies, you need to gird up yourself in your own understanding of Scripture and these core essential doctrines. One of my uh, um, dear friends passed on now. He was probably 84 at the time. And I was visiting with him about things like this because I'm just this young. This was, this was a few years ago. And I, I acknowledge I'm not necessarily, I'm still young, but I'm not necessarily as young as I once was, okay? There was a time I was young, okay? So I'm just entering in and I'm thinking, how do you make your way through this minefield? I don't want to believe something unbiblical. And, and the last thing I want to do is teach something unbiblical. How do you sort through all this stuff? And he said, Chris, here's what I'm understanding at my age and my journey. From what he understood from Scripture, what I've gleaned. The non-negotiables, okay? The non-negotiables that, that you'd be willing to die for, that you would stand on, they should be about the size of a matchbook cover. You should be able to write them on a matchbook cover. And you got to be careful. So what would you put in there? Maybe some of us have something in there right now that doesn't belong there. I'm going to die on wearing a tie on Sunday. 
Anybody believe me on that? No. Okay, but I've been to places where if the pastor didn't wear a suit and tie, he's an ungodly man. And they put that in the non-negotiable category. And so there's things like that, and we'll, we'll talk about more of those things as we come along. But you and I, as we study Scripture, as we move forward, it's the responsibility of the shepherd, which is not just me, but the individuals that have walked with God and studied Scripture for quite some time to help all of us understand what are those non-negotiables. Hey, got it right. What are those things that should be in the core? Because the beauty of it is it's quite possible that when Jesus said, I came that you might be free and have life to the fullest, it's quite possible that one of you young people have something in the center that doesn't need to be there. So you might not be experiencing as much freedom as you could. Then the other thing would be possible that you believe just about the other thing would be possible. You believe just about anything. You know what? And we got some scary things being taught right now. Historical Christian teaching, never in the history of the historical Christian church until recent years was it taught that marriage was something that other than between one man and one woman. Okay? So now we got this seeping in. And you're like thinking, What? Never before has it been taught that Jesus, well, it has been taught because they lie about him all the time. But I'm saying within the Christian circle that it doesn't really matter what you do with Jesus as long as you love people. Church never taught that. That's a new doctrine creeping in. And in Timothy, it even talks about in the last days, doctrines of demons will be taught. And so in 1 John, when it says the Antichrist doesn't accept Jesus coming in the flesh. So that's a, a big warning flag. So those are just, uh, now, I know that uh, maybe one of somebody here or somebody online say, hey, Chris, you left out this, you left out that, you left out, I know, okay. I said, just doing a general overview, and we're looking at some of these things just so that we begin to get an understanding. You want in this circle only what belongs there. Okay? Only what belongs there. Now, have Christians debated uh, fiercely at times over the years? <laughs> haven't you been in some of those discussions? And if you haven't, you're missing out. i tell you. Okay? So, yes, I, w I, w I would agree with you. We left some things out. But we're trying to just get are an idea that you and I have a responsibility. If you're sitting out there today and you don't know what you believe and why you believe it. And there was a, there was certainly a day. And I could say that even as a pastor studying scripture, I'm constantly trying to ask the people in my life, Hey, listen, can you help me here? I'm, I'm still gaining ground and getting my, getting a hold of what this means. Because I want to be careful about this. And I want to be clear about it. So that's the excitement we have as we enter into chapter 2 of 1 Peter. How long does it take to read through 2 Peter in one setting? What's that? That's right. It takes me about nine minutes. So if you're going to read through 2 Peter chapter 2 in one setting, 
It may take a little longer because you're just like going, oh man, that's dark. That's dark. And there's some dark warnings in chapter two about false teachings. And so as we go forward together and you're willing, you, if you want to call me, you want to send me an email, help me understand something. Let's do it. Let's have those discussions. But I, as a shepherd, I would not want anyone to have uncorrect, unsound, unbiblical doctrine and be hoodwinked and be led by your nose down some crafty, scheming teacher's journey. And so let's move forward together and you hold us accountable and we hold each other accountable to be in the book, to be studying, to be learning, to be praying, to be diligent. So are we good? Okay. So any, in essentials, unity, non-essentials, liberty, that just means freedom and in all things, love. Okay. So there's certain things we're free to disagree with, but not at the core. If we want to call ourselves Christian brothers and sisters, right? And you might be surprised at some of the people you thought were outside your camp. And they're not outside your camp at all. You might be surprised some of the people who are in your camp. And they might be surprised at you. Father, we just thank you for your great love. And God, we are thankful for Scripture. It is a lamp in a dark place. We're thankful for the revelation of your truth, Lord, so that we can have something to sink our teeth into. And we just ask that you continue to give us discernment, God. Help us to spur one another on to love and good deeds. Help us to check one another's drift. Help us to be open with each other and say, hey, is this biblical? Is this, do I understand this right? And help us to continue to forge together, God, so that we, biblical, is this, do I understand this right? And help us to continue to forge together, God, so that we would become mature and we would all grow up into him who is the head that is Jesus. And we just thank you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.